Now, Bob will continue his on works okay, of the heart. Okay, one minute before we start there. <laughs> on behalf of your entire church family, all the people who are your spiritual mom too, <laughs> if, if you guys have never, we've all heard the term Proverbs 31. If you haven't read Proverbs 31, starting at verse 10, do it sometime today. And think how that applies to the women in your life. But I can tell you that it applies to this woman (laughs) in all of our lives. So happy Mother's Day. Let's give it up for her. I told myself I was going to get through it without... It doesn't work. It never works. I don't know why. I don't know why I even try. And you know what? So many of you um, are are worthy of, of praise and beyond. Um, women, you, you give, you just have a heart, and God made you that way, to have a heart for others. And so whether you have your own children or, again, spiritual mom to others, dog moms, that mom's heart, <laughs> you, look, you look at that situation and you see just a mom's heart, and you know that that's not how God wired men. Not that men can't be that way, not that men can't blubber every time they get emotional, um, but women just have a heart and a strength and a dignity that I think God made them to have. And so thank you, all of you mothers, thank you so much. Um, just enjoy this day. I hope you enjoy this day. Um, for what I can do to help you enjoy this day is to deliver a message that I think the Lord gave me. So I'm, um, we're getting so close to the end of James. Um, so you out there online, wherever you are, our, our friends in Tanzania, um, in Nepal, in Haiti, I know that you're watching us live. Uh, such technology is so amazing, isn't it, to know? And at this very moment, live all over the world, there are people joining us, our humble little congregation right here, to hear a message um, that the Lord gave me. So welcome, everyone. Um, we're second to last message in the book of James, and James is so practical. It's one of the things that I love about it. And we have to keep that in context. Now, the way that we teach, maybe it's been a while since you heard me say the words. Maybe it doesn't even really register to you. But we are an, an exegetical teaching, okay? That's, that's what we do. And what that means is that I'll go into a scripture. I'll look at what it means, what it means in context, and then what it means to the church. But... It's not, the opposite of that or the, the, the counterpart to that is thematic teaching. If I were doing thematic teaching to the section that we're in right now, I would talk all about healing and all about how healing works in our lives and all those different ways. And I would pull scriptures out of James to talk about how healing works. That's not to say that that's wrong. By all means, that is absolutely right. It's a legitimate way. But what I do is, as you know, we go verse for verse, and we pull it out, and we say, this is what it meant in context to the group it was being written to, and then how does that apply to us today, right? So what I'm going to read today, this section in James, is it talks about healing a lot, but I want to let you know that if you look at James, and if you've been with us this whole time, and we're going through, and James talks about how to be a man of integrity, how to be a person of integrity, how to 
be a doer of the word, how to treat each other correctly, how to love one another, how to stand against the lies of the enemy. James talks about all those kind of very practical things. And so we, here we are at the last chapter, the last few verses, okay? Now, there's a couple more for next week, which will tie it all in a bow, but he's not suddenly going to switch gears like Paul and say, hey, let's talk all about this or let's talk about this specific item. We have to look at what he's talking about in context of the bigger picture. That's what we're going to do today. So spoiler alert, we're going to talk about healing today. It's one of the gifts that we very much believe in here. But that's not all that this is about. It's about so much more. So stay with me. So um, thank you so much, by the way, to Pastor Gabe for teaching last week. I hope you guys were blessed. It feels like a million years ago. But I hope you were blessed by her teaching last week. Um, James taught that last week, this is, that what you say matters. And how you say it matters. Being a person of integrity in thought and in speech and in actions matters. The way that you speak, specifically as of last week, can either glorify God or it can show how prideful you are, sometimes arrogant. And how we speak makes that really come out. When she was teaching last week, I kept thinking of the term sticks and stones. Anybody remember that? Remember how? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can often do much more serious long-term damage. Bones heal. Sometimes those hurts take longer. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the damage our words can do in the kingdom of God to the purposes of God are far more reaching than just simply an injury. And what happens is they play right into the devil's hands. The devil's more than willing to jump right on that and say, yeah, see what they just said? That's another person that says they're a Christian, but they hurt you just as much, if not more, than that person because you had expectations for that person, and they hurt you just the same. So here in context... We're talking about what James considers to be the proper response to living in a world where things like that happen, where we're not always as kind to each other as we should be. We don't always live with the kind of integrity that we should live in. And James not only calls is a response, almost to the point of saying, here's the antidote to the things that afflict us in this world. That's what this section is about. Sickness persecution, poverty, doubt, fear, arguments, strife of all types, and ultimately all the different forms of the devil's lies and manipulation cannot stand up against the sovereign power of the creator of the heavens and earth. They can't stand up against that power. Jesus gave himself on the cross so that we could be equipped with that power. We could be reconciled to God. We could have eternal life, but also we could have the power of the living God inside of us to go through this world and be a light. This world seems so dark sometimes. 
but we're called to be a light. We're empowered to be a light in this dark world and a light that will draw people not to us, but to him. That's why we're here. That is why we're here. So remember, well, before I get to that, Paul puts this, this powerful weapon, this, this, this powerful thing that we've been given. Paul puts it like this. He actually uses the term a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Does that tell you he thinks we're in a battle? A good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Timothy 2 if you want to look that up on your own. But he tells us we're fighting against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. If you haven't read that before, read that in context. We are in a battle, and the things that we do matter. So remember, James has just got done in all, this, all these chapters here. He's telling people, be patient. Don't judge. Don't swear. Don't argue. Don't even speak evil of one another. Be humble. Trust in God's grace and mercy. And, and more and more and more. How do we do that in a world like this? How can we possibly do this? So the question is, what is this super weapon that will help us stand against powers and principalities and be able to live a life, not just surviving, but being a light in this world, they are all forced into submission by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that we access through, it's one word, prayer. Through prayer. This week, what we're going to talk about is the power of prayer. We're in James 5, 13 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, grab that. I use the New American Standard, NASB. So if you have another one, it might read slightly different. I like to point out places where they read different enough to make it sound like it's saying something different. There's not much here that's like that. But let me read it to you. James 5, 13 through 18. Listen to it in context. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person when it is brought about, can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So James knows that the only possible way to live a life like the one that he's been encouraging us to live is to be connected with the Holy Spirit. That is the only way that that can happen. Remember, he is, and all the apostles, uh, they were all Jews by culture, Jews by, rate, by upbringing. They were very much immersed in the, the Jewish Hebrew culture. They knew all of the teaching. 
They knew all of the, the laws that had been given. They knew all of those things, and yet James is saying, look, there's, there's got to be another level that we're being called to. And the only way to achieve that higher level is through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So this is what he's talking about here. Let's look at it verse by verse here. Those of you who love Greek, there's going to be a lot of little Greek bites here. So be ready. James 5.13. Those of you who hate Greek, sorry. I only pull it out when it matters to how we interpret these things. So James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. This is the very first one. My kids would call it a mind grenade, okay? Listen, listen to this. That word suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? We would immediately think, okay, I've got a broken leg. I've got aches and pains, bruises from work day yesterday. I've got whatever. I'm suffering. That word suffering, though, is different the way that James is using it. He's using that word suffering. The Greek word is kakapatheo. Kakapatheo. And the definition, listen to the definition of that word suffering. To endure hardship that seems to be a setback, but isn't. All right. So he's not saying it's not a hardship. He's not saying you didn't lose your home. You're not being persecuted. You're not sick. He's not saying you're not any of those things. It's a mindset, though. It seems to be a setback, but it isn't. And the difference between what seems to be a setback and isn't a setback is our understanding of the purposes of God and what he can do through them. Second, second Greek lesson in the same verse, is anyone cheerful? It's euthumeo in the Greek. And the definition is to show positive passion and good morale. So how do you show positive passion and good morale in light of being persecuted, in light of suffering, to understand that what the world sees as a setback and what the enemy might intend to be a setback, God's like, mm-mm, I'm going to use that for your good. There's a lot in that one verse, isn't there? So much here already. James is saying, listen to this, James is saying that if you're going through a a rough patch, let's say. We call it a rough patch. Whatever that encompasses in your life. The way to face it is to realize that it really isn't a problem in the first place. Okay, that's kind of hard, right? Secondly, if you're in a great place right now, you should sing out loud and thank God. Praise him. Okay, that's a little bit easier for us to wrap our minds around. But then he's also saying, you really shouldn't be in a bad place to begin with. Not a physical, worldly bad place. I'm talking about a spiritual, mental, heart bad place. We shouldn't really be there to begin with, if we understand. So, in light of that, you should always be singing his praises. Does that sound like what he's saying? Yes exactly what he's saying. Whether what you think you're going through is great, you can sing praises because of that. If what you think you're going through is a rough time in your life, you can sing praises for that. 
because it's not about the temporal things of this world, the physical things. It's about eternity. It's about his grace, and it's about understanding that no matter what your day looks like, no matter what your body feels like, God is using that for your good and for the good of his kingdom. Moving on to the next verse. I could stay there all day. Moving on to the next verse. Instead of, now he's ta- he was talking about a general, kind of a general hardship, right? Now he focuses in on a specific thing, a specific thing that this audience has been dealing with and haven't been dealing with it correctly. So James 5.14, here we go. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Doesn't seem super significant in a, in, a, in a lesson outside of just physically healing. If you're sick, healing prayer is incredibly powerful. Healing is one of the spiritual gifts. Healing is alive and active today. If you're a cessationist, I'm sorry, but people get healed every single day through the power of God. It happens. But he's pointing out specifically, go to the elders of the church. Now, elders of the church doesn't mean me, okay? Doesn't mean Jim White. It means those who are mature in their faith. That's what the word means. In fact, the word elders translates as presbyteros. Okay, some of you have probably heard that before. It's where you get Presbyterian, things like that. The meaning, though, of that word was different. If you were Jewish in that culture, remember, they, these guys all grew up Jewish. What that word meant specifically was a member of the Sanhedrin, specifically. And you've heard that. But for the Christian, what it came to mean and what he's trying to get across here is it's a mature man of sound experience and judgment. That's what that means. And it says call for. That's an intentional act. That doesn't mean sit back and just assume they're going to come to you. Just like you'd pick up the phone and call the doctor. Call for them. And it can be anyone. Now, again, in that, in that culture, everything was written towards men, but it encompasses men and women. The same word translates later in the New Testament, including women in that maturity level. Anointing with oil. Now, anointing with oil is not a, it's not a magic elixir. In fact, what he's talking about here specifically is olive oil. We've seen frankincense and myrrh and things like that that are being used for, for kings, for anointing kings. What he's talking about specifically here is olive oil, and he's talking about that intentionally because that's common. There's nothing no power that's held in the oil itself. It's, for com- it's commonly used. It's done to set apart what you're doing, the act of healing, as intentional, okay, and as a holy act, not a profane one. Profane just means, George, you okay there? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. If you weren't so close, it wouldn't be so... 
anointing with oil, okay, done to set apart as holy and not profane. Now, oil was originally used all the way back in culture in the tabernacle, right? The high priests would use that. And then kings would be anointed with oil. And all of that, now he's saying, you can anoint each other with oil. This power that used to be for high priests only, and then used only for kings, you can use that for each other. That same holy act setting you apart can be used for you. If you want to read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, they're all full of how anointing oils work. But he's here saying specifically, you don't need to go to the high priest. It's not reserved for a king. It's for you. And it's for you with each other. Now, in that one phrase in 514 where it says anointing each other with oil in the name of the Lord. That is significant. He points that out specifically. Now we read that and go, okay, of course you would anoint him in the name of the Lord. But that's not what was happening back then. That's why he's saying this. What was happening back then is that there were any number of magicians and healers going all over the region, and they would, people would go, hey, I heard of this great, this great wizard, this sorcerer who could heal. And you would go, and he would put poultices on you and different oils and things like that. And of course, this all cost a lot. Healthcare wasn't free even back then. <coughs> then these guys were suffering from an influence called Hellenization, which is a Greek influence. So these guys, having left Jerusalem, having left that area of the Galilee for the most part, scattered out into the world, naturally gravitated towards the bigger city centers, which were heavy in Greek influence. Okay, so they were starting to absorb and starting to, because Greek influence, hey, we've been living this life of kind of, not poverty, most of them, but kind of a simpler life. Look at what these Greeks are doing. And they're partying it up. They're having wine and, and all kinds of stuff. That is a lifestyle, man. And so they were going to that, and they were starting to absorb this influence. Now, if you know anything about Greek or Roman culture, Greek specifically, they had gods, small g gods of everything. Okay? There was a Greek god of healing. His name was Asclepius. And many, many of these people, these Christians who had grown up in that Jewish culture had now absorbed enough of that Greek culture to where when they were sick, they were praying to the Greek God of healing. And James is going, stop that. Not only do you not need to pay some magician or sorcerer for that, you don't need to pray to this Greek idol of healing. You can do this for one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what he's telling them there. Now, it's not a healing formula where it says, call the elders around and do this. James 5.15, again, this is, this is tricky. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. There's a lot there, so, and, and it can be tricky because... You put these verses together, and it seems like a formula for healing. Call an elder. Elder will anoint you with oil. Pray in faith. Therefore, you're healed. 
That works. But that's not the only way it works. It works for all of us. That word faith in this, and I've taught this before, but the word faith there is pistis. And the word pistis in Greek, that is, is God's divine persuasion, meaning only God can give you that. Only God can persuade you that that is the truth. Now, that's used in two ways. In secular usage, especially ancient secular back then, it meant a warranty or a guarantee. Okay. And then, of course, we use it as, as faith. What's faith? An assurance of things unseen. But it was a guarantee. We use the word assurance, but... It's not a common word that we use very often. It's a guarantee that what you have heard from God is going to happen. That's what he's saying here. Now, examples. What's what's a prayer of faith? And the prayer of faith will restore the one who's sick. What's a prayer of faith? Anybody have examples of what a prayer of faith is? Good. Any others? I mean, if I said, pray a prayer of faith right now, could you do it? Depending on your understanding of it, here's a few examples of what that looks like. Man, I don't know if there's something in the air, some dust or pollen. Getting, my lungs are hurting. I hear coughing out there. Lord, I just pray against anything. If anyone demonic is causing anything to come and distract us, I pray against that right now. In the name of Jesus, calm our lungs, calm our spirits, calm our hearts to focus on you. No distractions from the enemy in Jesus' name. Examples of a prayer of faith, Matthew 17, 19 through 21. This is a story after the disciples have been out doing healing, driving out demons, things like that, and they come back to Jesus with a particular hard case that they couldn't overcome. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? They're talking about one specific demon. And he said to them, because of your meager faith, for truly I say to you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed and you say to this mountain, move from there to here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. That sounds amazing. Has anybody ever prayed for a mountain to move? I've prayed for a mountain to move. Literally, and I haven't seen it. Anybody here prayed for a mountain? Let's say a mountain like that one. Let's take it literally, to move. Anybody ever done that and seen it move? Okay, now, has anybody ever had the Holy Spirit tap you on the shoulder and say, I want you to pray right now with all your heart that that mountain moves? Anybody? I would guarantee not. Because that's when we have the assurance. When the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to pray to heal that person. I want you to pray for financial abundance for this person. I want you to pray for health for that person. When you hear that and you follow through in obedience, we have that assurance that that mountain's gonna move. When we pray it in our own because it seems like a good idea, that's not always a bad thing. But we don't have that assurance because we haven't heard it from God. There's Old Testament scripture too. 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 11. Anybody know that story about Hannah dedicating her son? 
this son, this boy, this baby that she has been praying so earnestly for, praying so hard. It reads like this. Again, 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 11. Then Hannah got up after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, Lord of armies, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your bondservant, meaning her, and remember me and not forget your bondservant, but will give your bondservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come to his head. Okay, Pastor Gabe talked about vows. That's a vow to God. That's a promise to the Lord. If you give me the desires of my heart, I will give him right back to you because I know what he's going to do for your purposes in the kingdom are far greater than just comfort for me. That's a prayer of faith. Now, possibly the greatest example that I could find of a prayer of faith, Jesus himself. Mark 14, 34 to 36. This is Jesus in the garden. He knows that he's going to go into Jerusalem and he's going to be captured and then, and then his fate's going to be fulfilled. And he says to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went into a little, and then he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began praying that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. He's praying for what he wants. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And then here's when faith and trust in a sovereign Lord comes in. The very next thing he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. That's a prayer of faith. It's okay to pray for the things we want. It's okay to pray for the things that we see, needs around us, wants, desires. It's okay to do that. But ultimately, we have to be able to say, but it's not about me. It's about you, God. And if what you want is for me to have that, then I know it's going to happen. So the next question in that verse, that, that previous verse, James 5.15, that throws people off a lot of times. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Who's the one forgiving sins? Is it the elders who are anointing with oil? Who has the power to forgive sins? Only, only Jesus God alone can forgive sins. If you want a scripture that backs that up, Isaiah 43, 25. I actually put it up here. I, this is God speaking, I, I alone am the one who wipes out your wrongdoings for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And there's tons more. It's the confession of your sins that removes barriers to God's forgiveness and healing. If you've ever been a part of our deliverance ministry, one of the first things that we do is address unforgiveness and unrepentant sin by confessing your sins out loud. Okay? Ideally, when you do that, you would be repenting of them. That's what the guidance is. Repent of your sins. Confess them to one another. That removes barriers for God to work in your life. 
And that's where healing comes in. Maybe even just as importantly, what it does is it removes weapons for the accuser. Who's the accuser? Another name for that? Accuser is a churchy word. Satan, the devil. Everything that we do that is against the purposes of God or not living up to what God has for us, Satan's just cataloging those things. Going, someday, when you need it, I'm going to pull that out and I'm going to remind you how unworthy you are of healing. I'm going to remind you how you should not even approach the elders for healing, how you should just go hide in a corner because of all the things you've done. That's what the accuser does. And by taking those things and confessing them, we get them out. That weapon is no longer powerful in my life because I have confessed it and I've walked away from it. We remove those weapons. Sometimes we call them strongholds. It's the same idea. So here now is where James wraps up this whole thing in a bow for us. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it's brought about, can accomplish much. I want you to think about that for just a second. When you read that scripture, when you read that scripture, what is the one requirement for healing and answered prayer that we haven't talked about yet? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it's brought about, can accomplish much. Relationship. It's relationship. Why he's saying, he could have said, if you feel, if you need healing, I want you to just go, go into your cave, go into your prayer closet, and you just pray for healing and it will happen. He's not saying that. He's saying, go before those who are mature and experienced in your church, those people who know how to handle these things, present yourself to them, confess your sins to them, and you'll be healed because it's the prayer that's going to be answered. It's the prayer that's going to be heard. And you've, you've confessed, you've removed all barriers to that happening. We don't do that at home in a vacuum by ourselves. We do that among the body of Christ, each other. An open, humble, non-judgmental, loving and mutual relationship with each other in the context of the body of Christ is powerful. Church, we need Jesus and we need each other. These things don't happen in a vacuum. We need each other. So now, James reminds them, these folks, of an example that they would have been familiar with, okay? Because remember, the temptation was, I'm, I'm sick, I'm afflicted, I've got something going on, I need to go find somebody, I need to find a Greek god, I need to find a, a, a healing witch doctor, I need to find whatever, I need, to, I need to find these things to be healed. James is going, no, 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 you can do that with each other. And imagine if that was you, you'd be going like, but I'm just a regular guy, and I've got faults and problems and things like that. Who am I to help somebody else be healed? He reminds them of Elijah. Now, Elijah, kind of a big deal, right? Even to us, but back then, Elijah was, 
He was way up there. And he reminds them, James 5, 17 to 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Why would he close this section like that? Why would he bring that up? To reinforce to them that, like, look, even Elijah was a guy just like us. We'd be tempted to put him up on a pedestal just like they did. But he was a real person just like us. And his powers of prayer, connection with God, stopped the rain. Here's how this works. If any of you have read the story of Elijah in Kings, okay, if you've done the ladies' Bible study, you've studied Kings. But let me read a couple sections from 1 Kings to show how quickly you can go from the top of the pedestal to to getting knocked off. 1 Kings 18, 36 to 40. Again, this is a story of Elijah. Then at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached (coughs) and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let any one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And then just a few short verses later, verse 46, then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he belted his cloak around his waist and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Is that not... If you're a prophet, if you're Elijah, are you not kind of feeling it right now? The Lord's favor fell on you. You said, seize all the prophets of Baal and put them to death at the word of the Lord. He was feeling it. He was confident in his connection with the Lord. But then just as quickly, the very next chapter, chapter 19, the first four verses. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. And how he killed, and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more so, if, if by about this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Remember, Gabe taught that last week. And he was afraid. So he goes from all this, the favor of the Lord, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he was afraid, and he got up and ran for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a brown tree. And he asked for himself to die and said, enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. This is the story that James is referring back to. I tell you all this so that you know the history. 
we tend to put these people like prophets up on a pedestal. And, and in many cases, rightly so, the favor of the Lord is on them. But he, just like the rest of us, could quickly go from, I'm feeling the Lord's favor, I'm feeling like this is good, like, the, like God is with me, to all of a sudden, I just wish I would die because I'm nothing. What does that? Is that just one day we're feeling good and the next day we're not? That's the enemy of your soul. That is Satan who comes and lies to you and says, I know God told you you were his favorite, but now, now this woman, Jezebel, she says you're not all that. Maybe you should just run and go hide under a tree. What? This is what Satan does. This is his lies. All right, so remember this, this section is meant to tie together the entirety of the book of James. He's writing them to remind them of who they are, to stand against the lies of the enemy. They're living as if there's no tomorrow, but there is an eternity. And getting by, by getting whatever you can as fast as you can, no matter how it hurts, that's not a way to glorify God. That's not who you are called to be. He's reminding them, look, you are not each other's enemy. Just the opposite. You are each other's strength. And the key to unlocking everything that God has for you is prayer. This section is all about prayer. And if this section is meant to wrap up the entirety of the book of James, could you say the entire book of James is about being connected to God through prayer? I would make that argument. What does your prayer life look like? Now, prayer life is a, that's a very churchy thing to say, okay? Here's what it means. Here's what it means. Do you pray, first of all, do you pray at all? Prayer is just talking to God, okay? You don't have to think, I need to go find an altar someplace or a prayer closet or a quiet place, and I need to be on my knees, and I need to be totally, you know, meditative and, and tapped into the Spirit. That is prayer, but that's not the only way to pray. Prayer just means you're having a conversation with God. You're talking to him. So what does it look like for you? Does it look like I pray over dinner when the whole family is there? Thank you, Lord, for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's it? Okay, it's a start. The Muslim culture prays five times a day. Five times a day, they stop what they're doing, they put down a mat, they face Mecca, and they pray. They do it at dawn, noon, mid-afternoon, sunset, and evening. And it's a repetition of the same prayer, and then sometimes they'll add other parts onto it. That seems pretty devout, doesn't it? It seems like that's a lot. As a Christian, how often are we advised to pray? Without ceasing. Five times a day, Pfft. how do you get any guidance five times a day? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing. So one time, five times, 10 times, what's without ceasing mean? Means I pray once and I'm still praying. And it's the same prayer. I continually pray. 
So when I ask how many times you pray, you could say one. I wake up in the morning, I start praying, and I pray all day. Side note, but a significant one, I think, is something, that, something the Lord showed me, and I wasn't even going to say it, and he's like, you need to, you need to bring that out because it matters. What's the shortest verse in the Bible for my Bible trivia nerds out there? Jesus wept. Extra points if you know what book that's from. John eleven thirty five. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Guess what else is only two words? First Thessalonians five sixteen. It's the first two words of what I just read you. Rejoice always. Now, some translations have a comma there, but in the Hebrew, it's a period, hard stop, rejoice always. Jesus wept so that you could rejoice always. Jesus gave himself on the cross, sacrificed himself for you so that you could have access to God. That's not dependent on who you are. It's not dependent on what you've done but it's who he is. I found a quote that spoke to my heart. It's by a pastor slash theologian named Timothy Keller. I think it was in the 50s that he wrote this. Look at this quote. I'll read it to you in case you can't read it. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We have that kind of access to the king of kings. Why would we not use it? Why would we spend any time at all trying to figure things out on our own when we have that kind of access to God? So our takeaway, how did I go from five minutes left to 10 minutes over? How did that happen? All right, I'm gonna wrap it up for you here. Stay with me. What are we supposed to take away from this section? Here it is. Prayer is not about getting what we want. It's about getting what he wants. And he wants the best for you, doesn't he? How do we know what he wants? We can read the word of God, which says it, and we can pray to God and hear it ourselves. Sounds circular, doesn't it? How do we know what he wants? We pray. How do we pray? We pray to know what he wants. Sounds circular. Till we look at the word pray, and the word pray, again, last Greek lesson, is prosikumai. That's the word pray in Greek, and it means to interact with the Lord by exchanging human wishes for his wishes. You pray to God, giving him your wishes, and saying, I'll take yours. Here's what I want. Give me what you want. That's what the word prayer literally means. And how can, we, how can we know what he wants? We ask him. Remember the faith, the side of a mustard seed? Moving mountains. How do we get that? Paul says, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Word, translated, can mean one of two things. Anybody know what those two things are? Thank you, Pastor Scott. Logos, no points because you should know this. <laughs> Logos, which is the written word of God. 
We read the Bible. This is the written word. These are promises from God. They're written down for me. That's logos. Same word translates as word. And then there's the rhema word. This is what he's talking about here. Rhema is the word of God being spoken directly to you by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that we can know. When we pray openly, without ceasing, without any any other agenda other than seeking what God wants for us, that's when we know. We tell that mountain to move, and it will move. If you have a mountain in your life, that's the way we need to pray. We know what he wants by studying the word. We know what to pray by asking the Holy Spirit. Church, that's how it works. When we do that, we have an assurance that our mountain, no matter what it is, is going to move. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that I don't have to go through these days. I don't have to go through any day trying to figure it out for myself. I thank you for your assurance that you will put your spirit in me. And I thank you that by saying yes to Jesus Christ, I have that spirit now. I thank you for access to the king, that I can come to you like a child. We don't have to have our stuff together. We don't have to to be dressed up. We don't have to have anything figured out. But we can come to the king. And you have our best at heart. So we have this assurance, God. So help me. Help me to set aside all of, my, all of my pride thinking I don't want these people around me to know my problems. I don't want all these people to know my fears, what I struggle with, my sins. I don't want them to know that, so I'm just going to keep them to myself. Father, help me to recognize that as a scheme and a lie of the enemy to isolate me from your very power in this body. You've called me to this body, which means I am a part of this body, which means there are people here who have for me what you need them to have, and I have for them what you have put into me. So, Father, bring me the introductions, highlight people for me that I need to have just a conversation with, and, Lord, I give it to you to guide those interactions because we all need each other. Help me to not be isolated. Help me to not be prideful. And just put it out there because that's when your power works. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you for allowing me the time to go over. We're going to do communion right now. Um, I think everybody has been here, but if you haven't in a while, we have communion stations up front here and over here where we have wine and bread and gluten-free crackers. We've also got self-serve in the back if you would like that. But let's move around. Let's take communion right now. Do not overlook this time. If the Holy Spirit has highlighted anyone, I don't care if you're a right side or a left side person, whichever side you're on, if they've highlighted someone that you just need to go say hi to, you just need to say, how you doing? Do that. Be bold. Take this time to see the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit in the body of Christ work the way it's supposed to. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys.